Um, we've, we've heard Mary's story, but there, there's actually hundreds of girls, hundreds of women um, in the, the current situation right now, uh, living, uh, they've been caught by Fulani herdsmen or by Boko Haram, and uh, right now as a, as a church here, we're gathered here, why don't we uh, exercise our, pray, our faith together and pray? And, you know, because I believe in uh, the power of prayer, you know, had we not prayed in this moment, well, then the situation would be different. But because we are here together now and we can pray, we can change the situation over there. So let's, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning as a fellowship of believers, Lord, and we want to lift up to you, especially this morning, our Sisters in Christ uh, over in Nigeria, especially those who right now are, um, have been caught by these groups and by these tribes. Lord Jesus, we pray that you would um, surround them with your peace, Lord, with your strength. We pray that even in this moment that they would know that someone is praying for them. Lord, we pray that they would uh, just know in their heart that you are right there with them. Lord, we do uh, pray for a means by which they can escape. We pray for freedom. We pray for deliverance. We pray for release in Jesus' name. And we pray, Lord, even as, as they are there, these, these Christian women, that they would shine for you. Lord, we pray that even the, uh, the militants would be convicted themselves of their own sin and their own state and that they would come to know you. So, Lord, we pray that you would have your way. We pray your kingdom come and your will be done in that place as it is in heaven. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you for, for praying with me this morning. And so as Craig said, um, my name's Mike, Mike Burrows, and, and I'm on team at, at Open Doors. And Open Doors helps people follow Jesus uh, all over the world in the toughest places. So it's in, in the toughest places in the world for Christians to be a Christian, to find Jesus, and also to live like a Christian that we're there in those places, uh, strengthening and helping and supporting believers under persecution. And it's been a privilege for me for the last, uh, coming up on eight years, to serve the persecuted church um, by raising awareness, raising prayer support, raising financial support for believers under persecution. Um, but I've also been able to, to serve us here, the church in New Zealand, by just sharing some of the, the stories and some of the lessons that we can learn from Christians under persecution. And I'm talking about Christians who um, have been captured, uh, perhaps they're in prison, they're being beaten, they're being tortured simply because they're believers in Jesus Christ. Yet through it all, uh, their faith remains strong and intact. And, and I think that there's something that we can learn from them. And uh, I know that at the moment we're going through a series, uh, Living and Loving Like Jesus. And this morning I, I really want to introduce you to some people who really do uh, live and love like Jesus in the context that, that they're in. And so really this morning is kind of like a, a family talk. I'm just sharing with you about our brothers and sisters in Christ. We all want to know how our family's getting on. And, and we've got, actually got a very big family. 
And so this morning I want to introduce you to um, some of our wider church family and, and in particular um, to a, a region of the world that I had the privilege of visiting last year in August last year. And I got the chance to, to go and meet believers in Egypt. And so with these open doors trips, we go uh, as tourists, and so we go to a few tourist spots, but then break off from those tourist spots. That's kind of the cover. Um, then to, to meet uh, Christians in, in various places around the country. So we got to see the, the pyramids, and um, they're actually bigger than what I, I thought they were. And uh, in fact, our guide, he's uh, an archaeologist. He was an archaeologist for 20 years. So we got to hear about all the stones in, in Egypt. And the pyramids are actually bigger than that. The, the sediment is built up over the first couple of blocks of stones. So um, it was just great to, to be there in that environment. But while I was there, what I discovered that is that, in fact, the Egyptian church is not an underground church. So in a lot of countries that we serve in, uh, we're uh, serving believers who are uh, Christians in secret. But in Egypt, uh, there are bold, courageous Christians. The, the church has been there for, for hundreds of years. And, and you can even tell a Christian on the streets just by the clothes that they're wearing um, because your uh, religion will, will kind of dictate what kind of clothes you wear. And so, you know, even in such a hostile environment, the, the Christians there are still bold and strong in their faith. Now, the first um, man we met, Marta, uh, he, uh, we, we met him in a hotel room, and, and we had to go into that hot hotel room over the course of like 15, 20 minutes, just ones or twos at a time to uh, try and not draw attention to ourselves. And he is the guy that is kind of head over all of our operations of Egypt, and so we couldn't spend much time with him. We didn't want to draw too much attention. But he said to us that, uh, that in fact, uh, the day before we landed, an electrical fire swept through a church in Cairo, killing 41 in the church service. And over 10 of those were, were children. The, um, the headlines came out here uh, to New Zealand in August last year. And the report immediately came out saying that it was by accident, that it was just an electrical fire, faulty wiring. Um, but he said to us that actually there's been two other churches that had caught fire under the same circumstances just recently. And so he said, well, we just feel that it was premeditated and planned and carried out by extremists. He said, well, in fact, over the last 10 years, there has been 2,000 Christian martyrs for Jesus. And so I'm, I'm not just, so this is just in that country, and I'm not just talking about Christians who've been killed, but Christians who've been killed specifically because they're believers in Jesus Christ. They, they wouldn't renounce their faith. They would stay strong in their faith, and because of that, being killed for, for the gospel. So 2,000 uh, over the last 10 years, just in, in that one, one country. But even in amongst uh, such uh, hostility, the, the main theme that I came back with uh, for me is that the Egyptian church is, in fact, a victorious church. It is a church that is overcoming. It is a church that is, in fact, growing. 
And we find that even in some of the, the toughest places on earth for the gospel, that that is where the church of Jesus Christ is growing. And so um, I've got a, a couple of verses I want to share with you. This is one of the verses that I was considering uh, as I was over there. John 16.33, which says this, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. And because Jesus has overcome the world, we too can overcome the world on a daily basis. And so um, one of the, the women that we met, I, I just think of this woman as someone who overcomes the world. I think of this woman as someone who lives and loves like Jesus. So we traveled from Cairo um, towards the, uh, the area called Asyut, uh, 360 kilometers south of Cairo, and traveled along beside the Nile River. Uh, if, if you look at a satellite view of Egypt, it's mostly desert, but then there's this ribbon, ribbon of blue, which is the Nile River, and then a strip of green either side, which is the irrigated part of the, the country. And we, we got together with a, a group of believers in, in a suit, and one of the, the last to speak was Nina. Um, and she goes into uh, one of the, really, the, the hardest places in Egypt for the gospel. Uh, she says that when she steps into this area of a suit in the region that she ministers into, that uh, every day she's in there, she hears gunfire. She says um, if, if she doesn't hear gunfire, well, then it's, it's not normal. And, and when we were there, with the, you know, we, we had an armed guard with us the, the entire time, and there were guns everywhere, but, but in this area of a suit, it's just so volatile. She said that, in fact, the week before we arrived, some extremists turned up uh, with a mission to kill Christians. Uh, the police arrived as well, and there was a shootout. The kids were still in school, and the, the kids were, were hiding under the, the desks, and some of them were shot and killed. Um, and none of the kids could, could go home until the next day. They just hid under their desks uh, for the entire night. And so this is the, the kind of region that, that she ministers into. She said there's a lot of black magic. Um, the, the parents even use their kids in some of the rituals. There's, there's a lot of mental abuse that, that takes place there, mental problems. And she said, in fact, one of the villages that I went into, um, the first time I went in there, they poisoned my tea trying to kill me. And so she, she passed out having drunk the tea. She, she's there to carry the good news. I mean, it's called the good news of Jesus Christ into this area, but they didn't want the good news. And so they tried to kill her um, for, for carrying the gospel of Jesus into that area. And I don't know what you and I would consider to be perhaps a closed door to the gospel, perhaps if the people we're trying to minister to are trying to kill us because we're carrying the gospel into that, that place. But, but for Nina, she doesn't consider that a closed door. And in fact, that's um, the name Open Doors. Uh, Brother Andrew came up with that name um, basically to say, well, there is actually no door closed to the gospel. No matter what country, you could talk about North Korea, Afghanistan, Somalia, but actually people need to know Jesus. And so people will continue to go into those countries to share the gospel. 
Um, in fact, I, I do remember hearing about North Korean believers. Some escape the country, find Jesus in China, become a Christian, then at the call of God, feel that they need to go back just to witness to one person. And your life expectancy, if you do that, is days, perhaps weeks, because if you're known to have left and come back, um, especially being a Christian, you'll be immediately killed. And so, but there are people carrying the good news. You know, our faith really is a life and death faith. We are talking about the devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but Jesus has come that we might have life. And so Nina, she ministers into this area. When she started going into the area of a suit to share the gospel, there were four churches. Now there are 70 churches. She's helping to disciple 3,000 people, and she has 150 people in drug rehabilitation houses. And so I just, you know, I just think of someone like Nina. She is someone who is living like Jesus for a start because she's fearless. You know, Jesus was fearless. He was, he was quite happy to, to um, put the leaders of the day in their uh, place because their hearts weren't right before God. And Nina, she was fearless and she loves like Jesus because even at the risk of her own life, she will go into these places and carries the message of Jesus. So I love the fact that we can kind of have our own faith challenged by people like Nina, our sister in Christ. And I was thinking of um, this next verse, 1 John 5, <clears throat> 4 to 5, and I love this because it really states it like it is. It says this, For everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only the one that believes that Jesus is the Son of God. And so in fact, we have overcome, we have won simply because we believe. You know, when we accept Jesus Christ as our personal Savior, we actually step from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of life. The Holy Spirit comes into our heart as a seal guaranteeing our inheritance in the saints. And so from that point on, we have the ability to walk in victory every day. In fact, we step into eternal life, the point that we become a Christian, and then we just live out the rest of our days here on earth and then go into eternity. And so it's really with this kind of faith that uh, these believers need to carry with them to be able to live really in areas like this in Egypt. So they, they have this saying in Egypt and they say, the blood of the martyrs has irrigated the church of our land. They say that when one person is killed for the gospel, that many more are, are added to the church. And I guess that couldn't be more true of the, the next um, people I want to introduce you to. Um, we had this amazing privilege of going into Butros Sayer Church. We were back in, in Cairo again. And you walk in there, it's a beautiful church. You know, it really has been built to the, to the glory of God. It's been standing there for, for centuries. And it was beautiful to be able to step into places like this, places of worship. And, but as I walked into Butros Sayer Church, I actually walked the path of a suicide bomber. 
So a man with um, explosives uh, strapped to him uh, with, a, with his clothes on top so you, you couldn't see, um, stepped into this church on the 18th of uh, December 2016 on Sunday on, on a, on a ch- uh, during a church service. And so he walked into these, these doors and uh, what he did was he turned to the, to the right instead of turning to the left. Now, had he been a, a local member of the church, had he uh, known uh, what the protocol was and, and where he should have been, he, he should have known that he should have turned to the left, which was the, the men's side of the church. So in, in this church, you have the men sit on one side and, and then the women sit on the other side. But he turned to, to the woman's side of the church, which he, he shouldn't have done. And so one of the, the leaders of the church immediately saw that there was something wrong about him. And so immediately walked up to him. And as he did, he saw what was about to take place, wrapped his arms around the suicide bomber, pulled him to the ground, and then the blast went off, killing both of them, uh, plus another 28 in the church as well. Um, had he got you know, closer to the front, many more would have been killed and, and injured, but, um, but this man managed to, to save uh, many people's lives. And so the man who was uh, sharing with us uh, about the events and the story and, and what went on uh, was actually the twin brother of the man who had pulled this bomber to, to the ground. And, and just as we're asking him questions and talking with him, we, we did ask him the question, well, aren't you afraid uh, to keep coming to this church? And he says, uh, no, we're not afraid. This is what it means to, to be a Christian. And so over in Egypt, Christians have counted the cost you know, already, what it is to to live for Jesus. And and here in New Zealand, we get to have our faith and our freedom. So, you know, it's kind of all good from from that point of view. But I I really feel like when we hear the stories of these ones, that it, it kind of prompts us almost to count the cost again. Can we this morning count the cost again in our own lives? You know, are we going to put Jesus number one, no matter what takes place, no matter what happens? So we um, were able to, to stand. They, they put this black tile on the ground that marks the blast site. And so you can stand next to the, the tile and look around. And uh, you can see the, the marble pillars. And they left some of the, the marks of the explosion in, in the pillars, some of the, the blast that, that hit it. They repaired most of it. But you can look around and you can see the pillars where the blast marks are and then the, the concrete walls around as well. And so even with all that taking place, uh, he said, well, the very next day, even before they had a chance to clean up properly, the, the church was full of those who were commemorating their loved ones. Uh, and in fact, he says, since the blast, the church has been consistently more full than before the blast. Uh, in fact, I, I did overhear a couple of them saying, he says, you know, I just think that sometimes the extremists are doing a better job of church growth than some of our priests. <laughs> so even, you know, when we pray 
Uh, for, for China, for example, the, the Chinese church, the, the pastors and leaders there, they would say, well, don't pray that persecution stops because, in fact, there's this, there seems to be this optimum level of the, these ones who are in the midst of this. Uh, like I said, they've already, it's, it's, it's like faith seems closer. Eternity seems closer to them. And so there's certainly things that we can uh, learn and gain from them. And so I think of the, the members of this church, you know, they, uh, they love like Jesus. I think of the man who gave his own life, um, and they, they certainly live like Jesus, just fearlessly meeting together. So, um, you know, how does that look, or, or what does that mean for us? And, and our verse again, 1 John 5, 4 to 5, for everyone born of God, overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only the one that believes that Jesus is the Son of God. So I was thinking, well, well what does it look like when we apply this to our own life? You know, what does it look like uh, to, to overcome on that daily basis? Well, perhaps in contrast, uh, what it looks like when, when we're not overcoming See, I feel like the world has victory over me when the world and its desires draw me away from God. 1 John 2.17, the world and its desires will pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. The world has victory over me when it causes me to trust in it rather than placing my, my trust in Jesus. Psalm chapter 20, verse 7, some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. And the world has victory over me when it absorbs my energies, controls my thinking, and deceives me into to trusting my own strength. But 1 Chronicles 16, 11, look to the Lord in his strength, seek his face always. But I conquer the world when I place my trust in Jesus for every situation I face. I conquer the world when I find my strength in Jesus, even in the middle of my weaknesses. And I conquer the world when I'm more in love with Jesus than I am the things of this world. And I felt like I got a real great insight into loving Jesus through another guy that we met. And this was a monk who had been living in this monastery for uh, 26 years. And so this monk, uh, his regular routine for the last 26 years has been waking up at 4 a.m. Uh, every morning and he prays for, for five hours a day. Uh, he fasts for two-thirds of the year. And so he's given his life to, um, to really solitude, obedience, um, a life of submission. And this is what he is, has chosen for his life. He says that, that they actually do take uh, people uh, into this monastery who want to be monks. Um, but he says, we, we don't take anyone who just wants to opt out of life. You have to give up something. And so he says, we only take those who, ha who at least have a university degree, something that they're going to give up to have this kind of lifestyle. And so we were just asking him all, all sorts of questions. And, um, and for a start, we said, well, um, do you find your lifestyle hard? And he says, well, well, some find it hard, 
But if you've fallen in love with Jesus, then it's easy. And I thought, well, what a, a great insight, because when you're in love or when you have a, a focus of your attention, well, then other things seem to, to fade away. And I was even thinking of Psalm 23, he sets a table before us in the presence of our enemies. And it's kind of like, who are we looking at? Are we looking at Jesus? Are we looking at all the, the difficulties around us? And this guy, he says, well, I'm just in love with Jesus. And so I spend so much time with him each day. And so we asked him some, some other questions as well. We, we said, because um, we're, we're thinking about this life of solitude kind of being away from the rest of the earth, and it's like, well, uh, other people, and it's like, well, how do you kind of reach out in, in love? How do you kind of share the good news and share the gospel, fulfill the Great Commission and these sort of things? And so we said to him, well, well how do you share your faith? How do you evangelize effectively? And he says, I evangelize through prayer. He says, I pray for you. I'm a part of the body. I'm like the liver, you know, inside the body. I, I, I do an imp important work, but no one can, can see me. And he says, I do what God is calling me to do. Are you doing what God has called you to do? I'm praying for you. And I just thought that was a, another great insight. Um, so did you realize that you have people around the world praying for you? You know, people praying for me. I think there's more people praying for us than what we even realize. But we have brothers and sisters in Christ that are praying for us. And so such a, an amazing <clears throat> opportunity to, to meet him and to meet people like this. And so here, the, here these people are. They're, they're living like Jesus, being obedient to the Father. They're loving like Jesus, they're reaching out the way that the, whatever it is that the Lord has put in their hands to do. Um, I guess what the Lord has put in our hands to do is perhaps some blocks of wood and some chainsaws for you know, a few days' time and helping people in the community. And it's just doing what we find ourselves to do. We can reach out both here in our local community, the, the nation, the nations of the world as well. And so for us, uh, that's what we do. We try and reach out. And we do that through prayer. We do that through giving. And, and again, that's, that's kind of living and loving like Jesus, uh, doing the things that he's called us to do in the Word. And so uh, on the seats there, there's a, um, a QR code. You can scan that and it jumps to the website. And, and some of the things that we do is, well, in Egypt, for example, we are helping to, to build churches. We're helping to uh, do discipleship. We're helping with the, the drug rehabilitation centers, family ministries, women's ministries, uh, kids' ministries as well. Um, but everything that we do is, is gospel-focused. Is what we're doing now today going to help to build the church in 10 and 20 years' time? So really, more than just a, an aid organization, uh, we're all about um, advancing the kingdom of God through what we do. But I, I thought I'd just finish with... Um, one of the, the places we visited, it's probably the place where, for me personally, uh, I felt the, the presence of God the, the strongest or, or the most in Egypt. So we had this amazing privilege to visit uh, Cave Church. And Cave Church is the largest church in the Middle East, seats 20,000 people. We weren't there on a Sunday, we were there on a midweek, and so it was, it was pretty empty. But uh, Cave Church is this amazing church, but it's situated 
well, it's situated on top of a, of a mountain, Mount Mokotan, um, but it's situated around Garbage City. They call it Garbage City because in the 80s, the Christians were exiled to uh, sort through the trash of Cairo. So 98% of the population of this area of Cairo is, is Christian. Cairo is divided up into various quarters. You've got the, the Islamic quarter and Old Cairo, New Cairo, the, the Christian quarter in various places. And so on the top of Mount Mokotan is, is this cave church. And, and it's, um, so you drive through these narrow winding streets, trash all through the houses, trash on the streets. Um, the kids do, uh, there's, a, there's a few kids there with cell phones. So I, I guess, you know, even amidst the trash, there's, you know, got to have a cell phone. So saw those. Um, but it reminded me of, of really Jesus being born into a manger. You know, you have the, the king of glory in this place that is so, um, you know, average, dirty, a stable, and you have really this gem of the Middle East. And we did um, find out a bit about the, the history of uh, Cave Church, where um, about 970 AD, the, the king challenged the pope, and he, and he said to him, uh, is your Bible real? Is it true? Is what the, the words they say in your, in your Bible true? And he says, well, yes. And so the king, uh, Moaz, said to the Pope, he said, well, in that case, I want you to move this mountain. And if you don't move this mountain, well, then I'm going to get rid of all the Christians in Egypt. And actually, one of our first worship songs was God can move mountains. You know, so, I mean, it's there in the word, but now he's been challenged to move this mountain. And he's like, well, I haven't done that before. Um, and so he leaves, you know, very fearful and discouraged and, uh, and he doesn't know what to do. God gives him a dream that night to go and find this guy, Simon the Shoemaker. And so he goes off and he, and he finds Simon and Simon says to him, well, Okay, what we need to do is we need to get the Christians fasting and praying. So they fasted and prayed for three days, got word out as far as they could around Egypt. And then after the, the end of that period of fasting and praying, they all gathered uh, at the foot of the mountain and the king was there. And, and as the Christians were singing, God have mercy on us, there was an earthquake and the mountain started to, to shake. And the, the king, of course, suddenly realizes that, that God is there in this, in this place. And then the mountain split. Uh, a part of it broke off and the sunlight shone through from the other side. And so God turned up in his glory. The, the, the Christians were saved. That, that story was actually recorded by a Muslim historian, not, not a Christian historian. And then in 1990... Um, uh, as they were doing the excavation work, and Cairo is constantly under excavation. There's just rocks everywhere and um, stones. You can, you can reach out and touch them all. Uh, in New Zealand, you'd have glass, and you, know, you have to be metres away, but there's so much. It's like, well, I just touch it. It doesn't matter. There's, there's so much there. Um, in fact, our guide, uh, he'd spent 20 years in archaeology, and he did point out a stone that they'd replaced upside down, so it's kind of like the upside down stone in Egypt, so he kind of knew all the stones in Egypt. Um, and it was interesting as well that, um, that the colour fixer um, is egg white, and so it evidently makes paint last a couple of thousand years, so um, I don't know if we want to use that in our houses, but it works over there anyway, and the, the colours remain bright and vibrant, so it was uh, amazing to see that. But in 1990, uh, Simon the Shoemaker's grave was discovered, 
And in that grave was a, was a box, and the box was a scroll. And on the scroll was that very same account of the earthquake taking place because the Christians prayed. And so a second piece of uh, archaeological historical evidence to say that this actually did take place when the Christians prayed, when they sung, there was the earthquake and, and they were all saved. And so God um, is at work, you know, in, in the world. He's at work back then, and he's at work in the world right now. You know, even thinking of Nina, you know, helping to build these churches in this area of a suit. So just to finish, I'd, I'd love us to, to pray together again um, and pray for the church in Egypt. Uh, we have the privilege here of being in New Zealand where the sun rises on us first and then the sun will continue to glide across the surface of the earth and people will wake up and praise will go up to, to the Lord uh, over the course of the next few hours, over 24 hours. And so they'll be worshipping the Lord at some point uh, in a few hours' time. So, so let's just pray for them. Heavenly Father, we, we come to you again and we thank you, Lord, that we can join with our brothers and sisters in Christ globally. Lord, I thank you that as we pray that there's no real geographical distance because you're there, you hear our prayers here and you're there right with them. Lord, we pray that as families come into churches all across Egypt today, we pray that they would be safe, that they'll be protected. Lord, we pray that the, the works of darkness and of the enemy and of extremists will be pushed back today, Lord. We pray that as people worship you and praise you, that there would be an open heaven, that your presence would be there, that people would be encouraged in their faith, Lord. I pray that even as Christians go out from that place, that they would shine for you, they would be bold and courageous. Lord, simply obedient to what it is that you're calling them to do. Lord, to, to live like Jesus in their community, to, to love like Jesus. And God, we pray that you would, and, and they, say, they say, will you pray with us, not just for us, but with us. Will you pray with us that our nation will get saved? And so, Lord, we, we pray for Egypt and we pray that you would move sovereignly by your power, that those in power would come to know you and that your gospel would continue to spread. Lord, here for us and, and our nation, we pray that you would continue to move by, by your love and by your grace. Lord, we pray that you would expand your work, that we would even have opportunities to, to reach out and love this coming week. And so, Lord, we thank you for, for placing us here. We thank you that we can have an influence both where we are and also reach, reach our arms out across the world. And so we thank you for the chance that we have to partner with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So thanks so much for the opportunity to be here this morning. Just to open that, that window into our wider church family. Just on the tables over there, I've got um, some more of the flyers. But we've got our, our prayer guide, our daily prayer guide. You can pray with us um, for different things on different dates. And we've got a few books out over there, which is our, our world watch list. So it's the top 50 countries and um, about where, where persecution is the most severe and just a little bit about each country. So thanks so much. Bless you.